Hi, this is Max with Nadler, and you're listening to the Full Stop Podcast. As always, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making this possible and getting the perk of receiving this episode a bit earlier than our other listeners. As the pandemic deepens and the world becomes more distant and stranger, we very much appreciate the support, which allows Full Stop to continue to connect ourselves to something larger in a time of separation and to pay many of our contributors. Thank you so much. Through the pandemic, our website continues to be updated multiple times a week with reviews, essays, and interviews, so please check it out. One particular piece I enjoyed on the site this month was our 420 reggae playlist, courtesy of Full Stop editor Mike Shapira. This is, I believe, the seventh 420 playlist, and possibly the most important one yet, so please give it a listen and, um, you know, luxuriate in those chill vibes during a very stressful time. Okay, so this month we're featuring a conversation between Turner Canty, a writer and musician based in Oakland, and the members of E-Team. Full Stop has previously described E-Team as a group that creates relationally unstable, highly situational art that operates at the intersection of land art, conceptual aesthetics, social practice, and a hypersaturated use of the internet. Their new novel, Greyblend, was released this winter by Nightboat Books, and we'll just let them take it from here. Well, I have so many questions for you, but I'll try to keep, you know, it's succinct. So really, why don't, why don't we do introductions real quick? And I'm just for uh, the listeners, my name's Turner Canty, and I'm a writer and musician living in Oakland, California, and I'm excited to be talking to you both today. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Francisca Lamprecht. I'm one part of E-Team. Uh, we have been working together since more than 20 years. Uh, we are mostly visual artists, and we have been living in New York for almost 20 years. Yeah, and my name is Haya Modreger, and I'm the other part of E-Team. Great. It's exciting to talk to you both. And I want to just, like, briefly on the outset, for those who don't know about the structure necessarily of the book, do you want to talk about that real quick, just how the book was conceived and the structure of, of the book itself, because it's kind of unusual, I would say. Um, okay, the book is called Grabeland. And actually, I wanted to ask you, how do you pronounce it when you when you read it? Yeah, I, I read it as Grabeland, but that's my, you know, that's my Western US kind of <laughs> upbringing, maybe coming out, mm-hmm. you know, but I can see Grab. I thought about that as well, Grabland, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a German term, it means uh, land for digging. Um, but um, in the English context, it probably looks more like grab land, or land grabbing. And um, the novel is based on um, a project we did um, or started in 2005 when we bought a piece of land um, sight unseen in Germany on eBay. Uh, and um, it turned out like to be an allotment garden, or we knew that it was an allotment garden. Uh, we had looked for the cheapest land available in Europe um, because we wanted to use this piece of land for a conceptual art project. And over the course of 10 years, we worked with this land and um, the interactions we had 
with the people who came with the land as tenants of these allotment gardens um, became kind of like the base for the narrative. Yeah, um, I love the setup of it. I, I already told you I'm, I'm a big fan of this concept, so <laughs> I'm giving myself away. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because at some point when you start to interact more with the townspeople, the villagers, um, we start to understand, you know, uh, in, in their fictionalized versions of themselves, uh, how, you know, there is some tension between you, you both or the protagonists, I should say, who are not named in the book, um, and how perhaps their appearance in the village kind of upsets, you know, the balance of going, this kind of going from point A to point B. Because early on, you mentioned uh, t when you meet Fuchs, I think is his name, mm -hmm. uh, and he's uh, this grumpy old man. He's almost like the villain. And he, uh, you mentioned talking about taking him to see Beckett's Endgame, mm -hmm. you know, a play which you know, is really just <laughs> one of those uh, classic Beckett, you know, the only thing it's really about is, is death and not to get too existentialist, but it's, it seems like you're kind of interrupting Fuchs and the other villagers' journeys, these kind of uh, fatalistic journeys towards the, the grave or something because they're in this village by themselves. They're old and they, they might not have really that much connection to the outside world. So I'm curious how you see that journey if you if you see it as a journey, you know, because the book is kind of an it is you know follows a narrative, um, and I'm wondering, you know, did you did you go into that project thinking that like, and how did how did maybe exploring these villagers change, not just change but create the narrative of the book? Do you want to go? No, you can go. I think we went into this um, project overly optimistic and very excited and definitely uh, very naive. We had done like a, uh, also a land-based project before, a couple of years earlier in Nevada, where we bought a piece of land and um, it was close to a small isolated town called Montello. And um, we declared um, a piece of land behind that town to be an international airport. And, um, we got people from the town to participate in this idea of the airport. And it was very performative and a lot of good positive energy going towards this collective performance. Um, so we thought uh, when we looked for land on eBay and uh, we discovered that this, that the cheapest piece of land available in Europe was this allotment garden that came with tenants we thought this is perfect because we have land and people. Our collaborators are already part of the, the purchase, so to say. We had completely underestimated that we approached uh, this piece of land and the people who were gardening on it as landlords, which is like a completely, dis, um, completely different um, situation than what we had in Nevada, where we perceived ourselves to be neighbors because we also had bought a piece of land like everyone else. So we thought like, oh, we are neighbors, but now we came as landlords and that is definitely like a completely different dynamic. Right. So <laughs> we didn't, we, we hadn't really realized that beforehand. Yeah. It was a different relationship and that 
and and something that we did not anticipate it in the way how it turned out in the end. Um, right. It's something we underestimated in both ways, in in like under or overestimated, like we were hoping for more, but then we were also put in to responsibility that we didn't want to get either. So we were we were tied mm -hmm. on both ends. Yeah. You you become capitalists kind of when you're the landlords. <laughs> you know, capitalist is one thing, but also you're becoming responsible, right? So you become responsible right. yeah. for someone else for your tenants, you're becoming responsible for order, you know, for cleaning yeah. up. So you're being held responsible for all these things. And we didn't want neither of those things, right? We, we wanted to do a project right. and not, you know, doing the landlord stuff. Right. Yeah, I remember there's a part where the the tools that you buy are, are missing when you come back mm -hmm. and the, the water is not turned on and there's no, there seems to be like a, a lot of tension <laughs> at times. Obviously, uh, for those who read the book, it's it's like kind of clear through the inner monologue of the townspeople, the villagers. That's it's not so easy. Um, and it's interesting that you are seen as the Americans in the book. I don't know if you want to talk about that because there is a lot, uh, kind of this almost. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe like kind of meta narrative moments where you know you're in this book as. Uh, Americans supposedly in Germany um, and then you kind of talk about this journey to America this you know narrative with the with the townspeople and then you also talk about other aspects of this uh, relationship with America in terms of like the Winnie two books and uh, how you know American Americanized culture maybe has affected Germany and vice versa so uh, just an observation. I don't know if that's really a question or not, but um, if, if there's something maybe you would want to say about that, I'd be interested. I think for me, it's it's one of the core points of the of the book. Actually, is like this cultural, like uh, it doesn't match anymore. The cultural shift, not mm -hmm. a shift, but like a displacement. Like I don't know. It's kind of hard, but like this this weird yeah shift displacement where we grew up in Germany. We, immigrated to the US, we went back to Germany. And so what are we at this point? But are, are we Germans? Are we Americans for ourselves? Mm -hmm. uh, and then also we are being we are being questioned as who we are from the outside as well. So we are no longer seen as a, the Germans because we are Americans now because we come from the US, we come from New York, we're being seen as New Yorkers. But at the same time, we share a certain history. So we have a common ground and something that we all experienced in the country that we all grew up in. Um, but yet we're, we're not, we're not seen as, as being authentic anymore because we mm -hmm. have left. Um, but you all, we're also not seeing ourselves as Americans because we are in Germany and we speak the language and we grew up there. So this whole like mix of where we are and where, where we position ourselves, a landscape that in itself, is is you know like like this this term of the of the cultural landscape the the Kulturlandschaft is like this this yeah the, the right the landscape that is that is shaped by humans it's not you know like it's it's all you know like Germany is so small though every piece of land has been plowed at least once uh, already <laughs> and uh, even though it might look like it's wild it's not and so you know it, it going in there and seeing this and then also seeing all these these cultural signifiers from the US that are being 
like implanted in a German landscape, which, you know, you look up and you see like, oh, that looks like it's could be an American mall or we could be like somewhere outside of uh, whatever the Midwest somewhere. And, yeah. and so finding ourselves in this cultural crisis, maybe like personally, but also landscape wise, I think is, is something that really like for me is very important about the book. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I relate to that in many ways. It's funny. Um, I, 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 I really like that aspect of it and, and thinking about the way, and this is also brought up in the book a few times, that you, you both or the protagonists are coming here because of the internet. They found, you found Daz Dorif online and when you get there, you know, you're like, oh, it's the church that we saw on Wikipedia and there's some cultural, or not cultural, there's some, um, as, you, as you say, kind of like landscape um, signifiers. But then you realize that these people who are there have no connection to the internet. They see it in Dazdorfian terms. I think, as you say, in the world it kind of ends at the ends at the village road. You know, after so you're you are carrying with you the baggage of being Americans who are you know internet connected. Your memories are online. You know, you your your project in in Utah or Nevada was it Nevada right? Mm-hmm. Is, was something that you also encountered online. So you have this like memory of, of something that you've done before that you, you know, like you said, you kind of came into it naive expecting something else. And then here are these people who, you know, <laughs> don't care either way how you found out about them, but maybe, you know, they're, uh, you're, you know, you're seeing the world from like just two completely different perspectives. And I like that tension and I, I kind of wonder I guess how how this book changed that maybe for them I don't know if you want to speculate about I know you do the internal monologues in the book but if that brought some sort of new you know technology or worldview to the to the citizens and whether that had kind of an impact on on you too there was one element in the book that that we documented in the photos, but we took the photos out. Um, what happened was that we created a photo album, like a photo right. montage of um, the travelers. And we like photoshopped the travelers into a New York City landscape as tourists sitting you know, in front of a portrait painter in, in Central Park. And so when we send those photos back, with the encouragement like oh do you want to create this photo album this kind of book of photos and you write captions underneath you know like just let your let your you know like your 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 thinking go and then when we got it back the book and we were like oh that's that's it so you wrote like oh we had a nice day and we had all this and it was just you know what you what you see in these photo albums but we hoped for a larger narrative so we're like oh okay and so i think after two weeks maybe we got a phone call or we spoke on the phone with one of those involved and she said like oh um we were really um annoyed at first because you had internationalized us Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this term of being internationalized, you know, like all that, like to me, like it, it relates a little bit to what you were saying, like this kind of like internet syncing. And we take someone, their photograph, with a tool that we feel totally comfortable with, you know, something that you do and you see all over the place. But then for someone who has never been to this place, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see myself in a context 
that I've never been into. And is it surprising? Is this exciting? Or is this just like, oh, you internationalize us? What is that term, right. internationalize someone? You know? So maybe that is a little bit of that for you. Like, it's not a speculation, but that's something I'd be encountered you know, as a feedback. I think like when you when you asked earlier uh, what we what kind of like technology we may have introduced to Dustorf mm -hmm. um, that may have changed something in the thinking uh, of the people there. Um, I think like it's the idea of travel and of going on a journey because um, so many of us are or like. For, for us, it's like a very normal thing to, to go mm -hmm. to other places and to travel. And for some people, it's not. And that is also very beautiful in a way because like, um, yeah, you can find a lot of stuff at home, basically. If you see the world around you with open eyes and look at the details, you don't have to go and travel the world to kind of like understand the world, I think. But to make this imaginary journey through new york uh through america in a 10 mile radius basically around right. dust off i think was kind of like um where we could meet the villagers because they wanted to go on a journey uh, mm -hmm. it's just that they never had done it and maybe now were too old or didn't have the means financial means or the experience were not brave enough but they really enjoyed coming on this journey. And I think like the idea of what a journey can do and how it kind of like can change your point of view was something that they appreciated. But only after you were on a journey for four years already. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while to get the journey going. That's right. <laughs> right. The book, I mean, itself, how long did it really, you know, from conception to now where it's being released more than 10 years right has gone into this book or about 10 years it's actually the, longer i just the, looked it up yeah. bought the land in yeah but the book itself as mm -hmm. a book form and as the idea for mm -hmm. a book that's, mm -hmm. that's roughly about 10 years yeah mm -hmm. because 10 years ago we didn't have the idea of a book it was just the idea of the project not necessarily uh -huh. that this will turn into mm -hmm. into a book mm -hmm. so it started out you didn't know it was going to be a book it could have been another kind of performance documented performance perhaps well, i mean the idea was, yeah the idea was actually to make a video and like an uh -huh. essay video as we most often do and um, to turn yeah an essay film and then the writing of the essay for the film turned out to be much longer than we anticipated and the the footage like it didn't hold up all of a sudden it became apparent that this time like there must be a different way and, and a different form of, of narrating was required um, also because it, the whole project was so slow. I mean, like the development of right. was so slow that it felt like really appropriate, appropriate to have this kind of like this pace of the book taking so long be part of that as well. And this is, this is really the longest thing that you two have written, mm -hmm. right? Yes. It, yeah. I would, I'm just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess that's maybe pretty self-evident, but, uh, the, cause the prose, I really like the prose. I think that the, the certain, uh, techniques that you guys use, like listing these little details of the town and talking about, you know, these these really kind of funny aspects. Like there's there's a lot of humor in the book. Like I I definitely laughed quite a bit, and I found it, you know, heartwarming at times, and also kind of kind of sad. And there, you know, there's like the loneliness of the people there, but then there's also this 
you can you often step outside of that pretty quickly. So if you you kind of you, you know if it's going to be kind of a rough sequence that you, uh, you guys often move the plot along kind of to something else and not too long. Which uh, you know I also I wonder where you see this book as being kind of like if if you're you know because it it's a self-proclaimed art novel at, from the get-go. So uh, but I wonder kind of like if I were shelving this book at a library, you know, I guess I don't know quite where I would put it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's something I thought about. Like, where do you see this this book as, as kind of falling into place in terms of like artistic medium? Where would you put it? I mean, yeah, where would I don't know? Because I was thinking the other day somebody told me they went to find Carlos Castaneda's Don Juan, <laughs> The Teachings of Don Juan. And they, they found it in the self-help section. <laughs> uh, there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, uh, Grobland uh, could fit, you know, that could be a self-help book, you know, in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this, this structure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that we've spoken before, and uh, I know this book has gone through a lot of revisions at this point, and there are parts of this book that I, I, knew, I noticed were taken out a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious about your, the way that you revised it, the process of, you know, perhaps like working with Nightboat and getting it ready after, you know, kind of many years of working on it, if that was like a positive overall thing and you felt like in the end you're delivering something that's kind of fulfills your vision maybe of what the project was. I don't know. Did you feel like that? Sure. It never can be probably 100% perfect, but we got closer... Right to something that feels right. I think in the beginning, most of the writing came out of the desire to understand what we had done or what had happened. So when we were on site in Dusdorf, we mostly performed uh, mm -hmm. and we had a lot of stuff to do uh, because we performed for the people, but we also had, so to say, perform uh, everything in the back. That means like we were stage crew and director and camera people and audio recording and cooks and chefs. And so like we had not much time to think at all of what we were doing or how to approach a certain situation. And we not very often had time to step back and observe, okay, what are we doing actually? It went really, really quickly uh, once we were there. So um, because we packed our time there pretty tightly with lots of events and stuff. It took a lot of time once we were back to kind of like unpack what actually mm -hmm. had happened. Right. And so, um, um, certain things had, you know, like for not everything that we had done had kind of like, um, yeah, it took a long time to kind of like understand what we did and where we m maybe did things that um, we had to revise further or think about deeper in a certain way. Also, maybe in, you know, some things you, you need to do and to write down to figure it out for yourself. Right. It's not necessarily something that you need to share with the world because it's your own process, your internal process. And I think that was part of that as well. That what you just described the mm -hmm. first, the putting it down and then seeing it and then having someone else go over that together with you and say like, okay, you know, what, what is which process, you know, what is important mm -hmm. for someone else yeah. and what is good for someone else and what is important for you and good for you. 
I think like you feel when something is not completely resolved or is not completely told um, in a true manner or like that there is like a certain truth that has not come to light. And sometimes you cannot dig up that truth necessarily yourself. You need mm -hmm. someone to kind of like push you. Dig up the truth, you said? Mm -hmm. Or dig up the, yeah. Dig, dig up like a certain truth that you know is there. Yeah. But you can, you know, sometimes you cannot see the forest for the trees. So right. like yeah. you feel you need to go further, uh, but you do not really know how. And sometimes uh, it needs like an editor. Like we've been really lucky with like Lindsay Bolt from uh, Nightboat Books. And she could kind of like point out like the the areas where we hadn't where we where it was just not really true yet right yeah i i, I mean that's a great description of just any sort of revision and that struggle <laughs> uh, i i don't know it's hard uh, yeah. i never i rarely complete things i think for that reason <laughs> uh -huh. and it's kind of a funny you know there's you know the time period with which this book takes place is not too far long, you know, it's, it was only a few years ago, really, but a lot is, has changed since then, and it, and it feels like it exists in a certain time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like post-neoliberal or, or kind of in a, because, in a, you know, the townspeople, the villagers have seen things come and go. They've seen, like, East and West Germany, and they've seen the, you know, Berlin Wall and World War II and, and these things, and then you're uh, kind of picking up the pieces of their experience uh, all these like many years later. So I don't know, did you intentionally fictionalize certain events uh, or uh, characters to kind of obfuscate the town itself? Do you know, do you follow me? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of maybe muddy up the water a little bit to make it, uh, to maybe change change some of the elements of the plot or, or make, or protect even the like identities of the townspeople? I don't think that was the, the real reason. The real reason was to really get to that point where it felt like this is this is what happened and this is how this is the best way we can describe it to to mm -hmm. to get to this truth. And that truth did not after quite a few revisions, we could not tell ourselves anymore. Right. What of that was fact and what of that or, or where these revisions had turned themselves into fiction. It it felt more right or it felt more true to them, to what we tried to say. It it was not clear anymore how much it would match up to the actual facts. And I think that is kind of like what when it turned into fiction. So mm -hmm. um, it was not so much to kind of like obfuscate the, the, the town's identity or anything like that. It's not hard to, to find this out. But... Yeah, we had to kind of like maybe generalize it a little bit more because mm -hmm. in a way yeah. it was tied to that specific town and these specific characters. But yeah, the more we thought about it, like these characters also um, were tied and intertwined with other characters. You know, they they were not just like authentic people. They also were kind of like characters that, maybe performed something for us that they thought they should perform who knows so um, right. because we staged everything in a way as a performance for ourselves um, how could we say this was authentic or true or factual 
Right. I think the, the moment when you speak, because you go back to the true and truth, I think that the truth is the artistic truth to really like be able to say like, this is the vision, this is what should be there and what should be seen. And this is how it should be said. So it's not about like documenting the actual verifiable truths, but we're like, okay, mm -hmm. what is a vision that we've seen in there? And, and for that, we needed to find voices for everything that we, that we thought, you know, should be in there or would be in there, or that's how we've seen it, you know? And so, right. and, and maybe that also was in one way, you know, at that time, a turn away from the image because the image that we have captured with the video cameras didn't represent what we've seen and what we imagined it would be, you know, the, 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 the cruise that we imagined wasn't a cruise ship and wasn't all grandiose as we had imagined. Yeah. It was a crappy you know, like thing. So we said, okay, you know, that doesn't hold true to what we think it is or what it represents, you know, and I think that's maybe the, the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're the human computer in that regard or the human <laughs> recorder. So it's an imprint of your own experience, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I really liked, I, I found that quality kind of apparent maybe in the, parts where you're talking about Nevada and minor John, who, I don't know, he only has a small role in the book, but I found to be a really fascinating kind of character from a different, you know, from your previous project. Having that touchstone and then moving on to the to this current project with the villagers who are all, you know, have their, their personalities. And the I believe that the, the end of the book you know, we start to see kind of more of them because there are some passages. And I had a few marked down here, but I can't remember with Mrs. Uh, Kersha and the mm -hmm. kind of like relationship with this apartment that you guys stay in. And it, it starts to get kind of uh, almost like kind of eerie. Mm -hmm. You know, there are all these, these moments where, uh, you know, you realize that you're maybe even retracing your steps a little bit without realizing it and that you you're maybe spent so much time in this village or you never actually stay in the village, but, you know, you, you're starting to really become more of a part of Dasdorf, I feel like, mm -hmm. towards the end. I don't know. Did that affect you, you know, when you have to go home and, and throughout the book, you know, you're there with your family. So you're both negotiating being parents and negotiating being you know, artists, uh, and did you feel like you walked away kind of, uh, like imprinted upon too, where you, you now are, uh, maybe if, uh, living out like a different story than, than you anticipated, you know, um, like as artists, perhaps, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the exciting part is that if you, um, go to a certain, um, I think it's tied to location. So right. maybe we are really perceptible to a certain, to, to certain landscapes. And maybe that happens to everyone. But um, when you go to the desert, somehow become like a, a different person, or maybe you have like different ideas of who you could be if you stand in the desert and look out yeah. to this vast kind of like emptiness in front of you. And um, this imagination alone, like, or seeing the possibility that presents itself in front of you in form of like an actual landscape changes um, who you are. And yeah. um, the same happens if, if you are in, in uh, Mecklenburg-Vorpommern and you look at a small garden parcel, you know, the outlook is very different. 
and you focus on different things of what is possible there. Um, and um, maybe we're just really flexible or we don't have much focus. So like we could see ourselves in the desert or we can see ourselves in, in dust or for like a, a certain amount of time doing things there that the people who are there are doing. Um, but um, eventually we're also seeing the limitations of that. And maybe that's mm -hmm. why we always like move around and cannot stay for too long in a certain place. Um, but I feel like the other thing was that we, we were, I feel like we were more attached or we became more attached with the inhabitants of, of Nevada or Montello. For me, I think it has to do with something that they were more dreamers. Like in mm -hmm. Dastorf, the villagers were more, oh, this is it. We have to do this. We get this done. There's nothing else beyond it. Like with the water search, you know, like right. makes sense anyway. You know, the, forget it. Yeah, forget yeah. it. Right, exactly. So the, 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 the aspiration, no matter how bizarre and un unrealistic they are, um, I think this is what excites me more about, um, about those that we had worked with in, in Nevada and Utah. Now, I would disagree because like that's mine. That's my <laughs> because like uh what what is kind of like lasting uh um maybe you have on one hand you have like the dreamers and on on the other side of the dreamers you have you know people who have routines and who kind of like fall into their daily routines and that is kind of like the way they escape. <laughs> yeah, right. or something like that this daily routine of like gardening for example right. year round uh this had like a lasting effect of on us like i mean we kind of like look what kind of like food we are eating and where it comes from we try mm -hmm. to eat local and I, i'm sure this is also a little bit influenced by having spent so much time with people who gardened all their lives and grew right. all their vegetables that they eat themselves and yeah. yeah i really i mean there are moments i think there's a quote here like to the people who grew up in a place like dasdorf nothing that happens after the age of seven feels substantial we said after we had ordered a second cup of coffee and a piece of poppy seed cake in the cafe in new brandenburg this idea that they the people in dasdorf have seen the birth of lambs and the slaughtering of sheep and the cycles of life their relationship to death is is much different than you know you're you're somewhat more childlike perhaps you know I, I feel like parts of the book are are from almost like a childlike perspective in terms of their outlook on the situation perhaps around you yeah and there's something really comforting in that because like um you know like if if the the cycle of life um, has been kind of like realized or understood at at the age of seven like you can go out into a world with a little bit less fear maybe uh, right uh, because <laughs> <laughs> there's like it's been determined <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is true though that this this book uh is uh, I, I feel like i'll have to there are parts of it even i've been rereading that I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice that thing that spoke to me, like about, you know, there, there are plenty of passages, like there's one that I noticed today, like a, a, you printed out a, a picture of the lot in Utah on letter-sized paper, let it fly from the 63rd floor window 
of a high-rise apartment building watched how the representation slowly descended into the density of lower Manhattan, eventually claiming a space. And how I'm like, oh, how did I not notice that <laughs> that line, which is like almost po- it's like almost a poetic line to me. I mean, I'm a poet too, so like that's probably why I liked it so much. But that thing of claiming a space, I like a lot. I like the idea of this paper representation of a place. Is that the Minor John's place or something in, in Utah? I can't quite remember. Being printed out and then that it is itself enough excuse for this thing to be a place, maybe. You know, it's claiming a space. And even though it's just a printed representation. So, you know, there's and, and there's almost no delineation, you know. In our world, you know, in the Internet, uh, the way that uh, places take on form there is there a difference between a place online and a place in reality and i don't know you know (laughs) that's a very hard to say to me yeah it's a very good ending now we have like 360 pieces of paper yeah (laughs) yeah you can throw that you can throw them out to people unsuspecting below exactly (laughs) well that you know that goes through pretty much all the the things that the points i wanted to cover uh I wonder if there's anything else that that you two would want to talk about um, in terms of uh, the book itself or even, you know, future projects. (laughs) I mean, I would like to go to your your question that Francie returned back to you, you know, when he asked which which shelf in the library you wanted to put it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Just because for me, I would I would hope and that's maybe just my preference. I, when I go to the library, I prefer going to the fiction area. And, right. And so I would hope for it to be ending up in the fiction area. Um, yes. But, <laughs> so, I would hope so, too. Yeah. So I don't know. It would go for the self-help section or, you know, like, uh, I mean, but, it's, you know, the question that always comes up. Yeah. But for me, you know, that's why I would hope it would. Yeah. I would hope uh in every bookstore it ends up in a different section that would be really cool because right. it would be interesting gardening maybe gardening history um self-help fiction what about um, art books art books yeah right uh, yeah that would be an interesting project to mm-hmm. to see where it fits yeah maybe you could go to to some libraries and insert them <laughs> go find some around new york and put them in the in random places yeah yeah um well thanks for taking this time to to speak with me and um thanks to uh full stop um for setting this up all right well if i'm ever in new york i'll try to get a hold of 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 you two if if you're around yeah yeah i'd love to to meet someday so please get in touch Thank you for listening to the Full Stop Podcast. You can support Full Stop at patreon.com backslash fullstopmag. And as always, find a ton of reviews, essays, and interviews at www.full-stop.net. We hope you're staying safe out there, and we will see you next time.